Welcome to another edition of Mormonland. I'm Dave Noyce. I'm an editor of the Tribune, and I oversee our faith coverage. I'm joined again by our senior religion reporter, Peggy Fletcher-Stack. Hello, Peggy. Hi, Dave. Next week, Peggy, marks 40 years since the LDS Church ended its ban on black men and boys holding its Almel priesthood and on black women and girls entering Mormon temples. This week, the Church is planning a big event for Friday, celebrating the end of that prohibition. Here to talk with us today about that and her own personal spiritual journey is Kathy Stokes, a former public health professional and a Black Latter-day Saint who joined the church in Chicago in 1979. Kathy, thanks so much for being with us. Delighted. Thank you. Great. Kathy, so you converted to Mormonism like a year after or the year following the priesthood and temple ban being lifted. How did you come to join the church? Uh, I heard about the church in 1978. And there was an, an announcement of the change in policy, which I didn't quite understand it because it was a United Airline pilot on my way to Hawaii who was telling the passengers what to do in Hawaii. And one thing he said, we should visit the Polynesian Cultural Center and we should go to the temple because we wouldn't have that opportunity many times in our lives. And I didn't understand that either, but went up to the uh, cultural center, met a guy from Australia, Charles Hollis, uh, who came down to the temple with my friend and I. And uh, the temple had closed the day before. So I went in, heard the, you know, the commercial, Joseph Smith's spiel, and I asked the guy, what did you all do with the gold plates? <laughs> and he just Good sort question. of looked dumbfounded, like, you know. And so I thought, well, what the heck? With the price of gold, who knows? They're probably hidden somewhere. <laughs> and so I signed a little slip, if you wanted more information, expecting to get a magazine and a request for a donation. And instead I got these two sweet little white boys <laughs> who showed up at my door a couple of weeks later. I was very impressed with the follow-through. Being in public health, follow-through is the name of the game. Um, and I thought, wow. And then when they got there, they had the same little green slip. And uh, uh, that was impressive, and I was impressed with how dumb they were. Uh, number one, to be wandering around our the South Side, um, talking about their ministers of Jesus Christ. And I thought, yeah, you keep saying that loud and clear so everybody could hear it, because that would give you passage uh -huh. through. <laughs> you know, if you, uh, usually in a place that might be hostile, you, if you're a person uh, and identify spiritually as a person dedicated to certain beliefs, or if you have children, you usually get a pass, yeah. So those white shirts and ties protected them a little bit, you're saying? Yes, indeed. <laughs> and, the, and the halo around them. <laughs> they really were sweet kids, and that was impressive. Sweet but dumb. Yeah. So, anyhow. So, so what persuaded you to join? Uh, because I went through six or seven sets of them because they didn't know anything about the Bible. So they would tell me about this Book of Mormon. I would tell them about the Bible. Oh, yeah, that sounds like such and such. And then, and the last two that came, 
got me to come up to the ward where I saw, actually it was a branch then, where I saw all these skinny white women, you know. And I thought, well, ain't no point in me coming up in here. But there were these precious, precious, precious little kids who had no fear and weren't, didn't have any bias screens and just would climb up in my lap and play in my hair. And um, their parents would sit there with the red going up the neck, you know, we could watch it, <laughs> not knowing what to do or say. But the kids were fine. And so actually, it was the baby missionaries <laughs> that converted me. <laughs> I was impressed with how they handled their children. Um, I was impressed with what they say they believe, and the apparent um, expectation that you would do that. Most churches say they believe in the same thing, but they don't expect you to do it. In some things, there's no expectation whatsoever. And so that was uh, being out of the South and black. Expectation is a lot, you know. Have had a lot of disappointments on expectation. And so that was impressive to me. And um, it was, um, well, it took over a year, you know. And then when I started to think about it, I thought, you know, I don't disbelieve any of this. So it's kind of a backdoor hmm. way in. But, um, and people were warm. Um, open and receptive and so that's how it all began so you say you knew the bible what religion were you name one. Oh, okay yeah <laughs> you know i'd been through most Christian churches uh-huh uh, in, in the south you know we, you're baptist or methodist but for us in our little community it didn't really matter because it was the same preacher who rode the circuit oh. yeah but then uh after you know, being in Chicago, I went to, uh, I think I went to Lutheran, Presbyterian, Catholic. I went to a Catholic school for a while. Um, and basically, the core things are very similar. The differences in expectation. And, you know, there's some common thread that binds us, you know, that I like that household of faith. And so uh, I joined. Mm -hmm. So you had heard about this, the priesthood temple ban, obviously before you'd even joined. When, when you did decide to join, did that, was that a stumbling block? No, all, all, it had been lifted, all religions in America, everything in America deals with race in some way. And, you know, we're still dealing with it. We got the white Baptists and the black Baptists and the white evangelicals and the black evangelicals, uh, the Catholics, it, everybody. So that's a fact of American life, how you handle race. So that, no, it didn't bother me at all. It's because it didn't strike you as out of ordinary, no, out of the no, ordinary, since you know, it was so prevalent. No, everybody's racist. Yeah. Yeah. Some mornings even I am, you know. <laughs> so, but um, this is the world we live in. Unfortunately, it is more strident now than it was then. 
although it was pretty hot on this between the races in, on the south side in Chicago then. That, that's changed somewhat. But uh, we're still fighting the Civil War, basically. And some of us uh, hope that all of what happens today and yesterday will prompt us to decide who we are and wh what, whether the Constitution means anything. And, you know, we, we don't pay any more attention to the Constitution than the founding fathers who had slaves. You know, come on, give me a break. You know, uh, so what's changed, yeah. basically? So what was your life like as a Mormon? Was your um, Chicago ward, wasn't it in, in Hyde Park? It was in Hyde Park. It was on the University of Chicago campus area. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, it was actually, we met in an apartment building where, you know, we set up the chairs and that was kind of cozy. We built a, we built a one, beautiful ward building there. Mostly white members? Yes. They, oh, well, just about all, except I think there were one or two other black people. And then the conver converts were basically black. I think every now and then they'd baptize a student. But now that uh, ratio has moved, moved towards center, but I doubt that it's 50-50. Now, there are some, uh, you, you mostly had graduate students and professional students, law, medicine, and then the long-termers, as we call them, folks working on PhDs. And so, you know, the law and the business guys, you know, hey, don't bother to get too close, it'll be gone. But you hang with the anthropologists and those guys because they're going to be there a long time. And that was, uh, it was a delightful experience. There were some older white members who taught at the university. So there were some, a, a small core of people who had come for something associated with the university and then stayed and uh, are still there. Some, well, at least one of them is still there. Did you feel any, any racial tension in that war? Did you feel accepted? I mean, you became Relief Society president, correct? Yeah, uh, and that didn't take long. I think it was... Probably in the, if, if the end of the first year. And um, about Relief Society, um, th what the institutions of the church mean to the church, I learned when a lady and her husband were coming from Philadelphia or someplace back east on the train, and he died on the train. Or became violently ill, they took him off the train. But I, he may have died before he got to the hospital. And so I got this call that this lady was there at one of the large teaching institutions, and she wouldn't let anybody do anything until her church got there. And so would I go, and she was from maybe, is there a Greenville, Utah? Green River? Might have been Green yeah. River, something green, mm -hmm. Utah. <clears throat> so I'm thinking, oh, God, she's never seen anything black except on TV. And so I got one of the young sisters to go with me because I wanted her to be comfortable. This is no time to cause any 
distress, you know. And so I took one of the young sisters with me. And I went there, and she was uh, near the emergency room. And I said to her, I am the Relief Society president. And she jumped up and hugged my neck. Oh, wow. And it took my breath away. Um, and so we took her, and I had her to stay with the family that had young kids, because that would comfort and distract her. And we made the arrangements to get a funeral director and make her reservations. They told you, you can't get back on the train. You have to fly home. And so uh, we took care of that. I think at the time, the eldest quorum president was black, a black guy too, Lester Jefferson. So that was my encounter. I really hadn't thought about anything other than, than she's not accustomed to blacks. What will make this woman most comfortable? And that was my concern. And we corresponded for years. She went on a mission after, uh, after a while. And um, I haven't heard from her in a long time, but I hope she's well. Yeah. So when did you move to Utah? I moved in Utah when I retired. And that was 12 years ago, 2006. Uh, March 30, 31st, is it? Uh, last day of March was that when I ended my, my employment, and I left town the same day. Hmm. I came out to look around and to spend some time because I had been to Utah 14 times the year before for weddings and baby blessings and all kinds of things, parties. Um, and someone said, you know, you'd save money if you moved to Utah. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, I probably, let me think about that. So I stayed in a, a home that a friend of mine owned that um, was available uh, for six to eight weeks. And I, it was outer from the city. Uh, that wasn't my cup of tea. I know I can have a suburb in Chicago. Um, so some another friend said, why don't you come stay in our little, we have a little uh, missionary apartment in the basement. And they lived on South Temple. Uh, my good friends, the Claussons, whose children I had, had been in Chicago, and that's how I met them. And they had visited there, and so I stayed there until, until I uh, located acceptable housing, and uh, the rest is history. Hmm. Yeah. How's your experience in Utah been different than Chicago in, in Ut at church? Yeah, Utah's a, a, a tad different. My reason for, for moving here were I wanted less density of population and the benefits that brings, uh, less traffic. Salt Lake has a rush minute, not a rush hour. <laughs> uh, I wanted a place where I knew a lot of people that I cared about and that cared about me. And winter light. And that's, you know, the, the harsh Midwestern winters alone will kill you. Mm -hmm. And so this, was, this is a refreshing change for that. Uh, I found the people mostly curious to the point of being a tad obnoxious. 
you know, people walk up to you and you, you haven't said hello, uh, get lost, and they want to know the most intimate details of your life. And I sometimes would say, now, is there a reason you think I ought to answer that question? <laughs> you know? <laughs> or their first question generally was, what brought you to Utah? A United flight. And they'd say, what? I say, yeah, my stuff came on a truck, but I flew out. And so I don't remember the, I knew what they wanted, but I wasn't playing that game. You know, what you really wanted is why in the hell would you have come to Utah? <laughs> I mean, it, it, what it says is you really don't belong here. Hmm. And uh, fortunately, I had had years of experience in not belonging. And so that wasn't a big deal. Along with that, I, I hasten to add, those very same people will stop what they're doing to help you. They're good people. We're good people. We, we just don't pay attention enough. And it's, it's sort of like you think, Either everybody is just like you or should be. And everybody is not, and it's okay. So you've seen the church as an institution and, and, and obviously some individuals and, and many individuals uh -huh. evolve on race in, in recent years. What, what do you think about that evolution? You want to sing glory, glory, hallelujah? We could do that. So you see good things. Oh, absolutely. I mean, some people say, well, they waited 40 years. Well, would you rather they wait 50 years? You know, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. The scriptures tell us there's a time and a season. This is the time and the season to celebrate the gospel available to people of all races and all lands everywhere. How can I not rejoice in that? Do they have it exactly right? Well, that remains to be seen. See, the, 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 but the commitment has been made in terms of the depth and breadth of the celebration in addition to a recent activity that the First Presidency engaged in with the uh, National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, NAACP. And some people say, well, they didn't go far enough. I'm grateful for where they went. And the whole guffawa with the false apology. Uh, and, you know, I didn't see it, but I wouldn't have believed it if I had seen it. Uh, and my take on apologies is, the United States Senate, Congress, major institutions, schools, even state legislatures have apologized for slavery and the aftermath of slavery. And where are we? You know, to hell with the apology. Tell me what you're going to do. Uh, they made a commitment to work with the NAACP to move away from prejudice of all kinds.
Now, why do I feel so much joy as that? Because my experience with this church is they generally do what they say. And we are the rescuers. We rescue people like nobody else rescues. And God knows we need rescuing now. We need to be the church of Jesus Christ uh, in his name and for his sake. We need to accelerate our coming unto Christ. And this is how I see the things that are happening now. So you're more interested in seeing action than just words. Right. But, but let me You know, that's what, when, you know, when you're, boyfriend does something wrong he's always sorry right or your husband <laughs> and he, he, you know he's lying when he says he's not going to do it again <laughs> uh, but uh, my experience is the church is, is pretty reliable let me just ask you though and, and maybe the last uh, apology question but would you like to see an apology do you think that would be a good thing if, if the church apologized formally for the priesthood and temple ban well, if that would help, fine. Do I need an apology? No, I just need them to do what they say we're going to do. See, having, um, well, all the folks who have apologized to black folks in general, where are we today? Uh, uh, no. Uh, the, uh, then if you do that, what would Jesus do thing? He would do what would make you comfortable and soothe you, comfort you. Um, so I don't, I don't need an apology um, because my experience with apology has been less than stellar. Yeah. Do you think the essay, the race and the priesthood essay helped? Though? That helps some people, but you know, there's never enough if you're mad. And the only problem with anger and remaining hurt is that you stay angry and you continue to hurt. If you can release those, and it's hard. Hmm. But you know, if I stayed angry with all of the insults and abuses and cruelties I have experienced in my 81 years of living, I'd probably be on drugs or something. <laughs> and um, you gotta let, you have to decide, keep your eye on the prize. What is it you want? How are you gonna get there? And who can you help as you go along? Uh, revenge is not a, a um, noble characteristic. And um, anger does not help us. It, as a matter of fact, it saps your strength and lessens your ability to work through things. And so... Um, having come out of the Deep South, you know, um, some things 
I don't even talk about. Um, Utah, thus far, and there are some places in Utah I feel more comfortable when I take one of my white folks with me. Um, but on the whole, people say, oh, there are a lot of racists in the Mormon church. Of course. God loved racists. He put them everywhere. We've got more than our fair share some days, some days not. But I would rather deal with the racist in the church than out of the church, because I can call him to repentance, <laughs> you know, and have no problem doing that. Gently, if we all would try gentle persuasion, love unfeigned, and you do have to reprove sharply, but that has to be followed with an outpouring of love. Um, I'm just so excited, I don't know what to tell you. I'll probably sleep through Friday because I'm so excited. You know? yeah. But I think it's wonderful. I um, am grateful to the First Presidency, to the new prophet. Uh, don't tell him, but I kind of think of him as the Energizer Bunny on steroids. Okay? <laughs> At 93, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he just, I'm telling you, he just keeps on going. And I wish him Godspeed. So were, you were involved in some of the planning for this celebration. Yes. So you say you're excited. What, what's the most exciting part of it, you think? Is that we're all coming together. The Brazilians, the Caribbean, the Africans, everybody who has been impacted by the absence of the priesthood in their lives. And, you know, there's... it. I don't know if it's a big secret, but relationships between um, other people of color, among other people of color, has, is not, um, we don't get an A in that. Hmm. We may be on our way to it. So I just think it's wonderful. The group that has been a planning committee includes African, Brazilian, you know, it, um, and, uh, and American people of color. And I think that part's wonderful. And we have this opportunity to show the world that you can do this. You can do this. So this B1 celebration is Friday at the conference center at 7.30, and it will be streamed online at the, at the LDS Church's website worldwide, of course. Um, uh, it, it, some people have questioned, why are you calling it a celebration? Why would you say it should be called a celebration? A, a celebration versus what? A celebration versus whatever. Oh, you know, a taking joy. We're taking joy. We're celebrating. And I remember um, in discussing the celebration with the other, with the, um, Brazilian and African, and they wanted a they, less party. It, you know, they didn't say those words, but I thought, oh, these guys know how to party. Let's do this. <laughs> um, celebration is an expression of joy. And man is 
we are that we might have joy. So celebrate everything you can. I celebrate every morning I wake up, say, yes, another <laughs> day. Thank you. And, and what can I do today? You know, what can I enjoy? What can I do for someone else? What can I do for myself? What would you like, if, if you were uh, directing the church, what would you like to see the church do going forward towards bringing people together and overcoming racial divide? What would I like to see them do? Yeah. In the, after the celebration is over, going okay, forward. Well, we, we're already committed to working with the NAACP. That is just the beginning. But I think it is so beautiful that the, I believe it's the oldest civil rights it is. organization. And I met some of their board members, some of whom who are from my home state, and Mississippi, and they tell me that they now have a civil rights museum that took them eight years to get. I am going to see that museum that that progress has come. Now, there's a lot of ways to go. The difference between the North, well, the South and other areas of the country, the South, they're, they're actually more honest. You know, they don't dress it up. Uh, it's straight, no chaser. Um, and, you know, they used to put up signs till the government made them take them down. And the opposite of that is when a Southerner extends their hand in friendship, it is genuine. It's not because it's the political correct thing. It's because they're extending. Um, I, I, when I was in Mississippi some years ago and I went to see a white man who, whose uh, grandfather owned the county and everybody in the county, and he had come to my brother's funeral and asked to speak. And I almost fainted because I never thought I would hear a white man in Wilkinson County, Mississippi, ask black folk permission to do anything. And he went on to say that he was representing his father and he wanted to give uh, testimony of the goodness of my brother. So I, it took me about five years to chase him down and to meet with him. I had gone back. And I went to the business establishment his family owns, and I said to him, I've come to thank you for the good things you said, but more than that, to thank you for asking permission. And he said, well, you know, I didn't say anything about how I felt about your brother. He said, but when he was a little boy, my brother was worked in his family home. See, you probably saw the help. That was about middle-class white folks in the South. The really rich white folks, this help lived in. And my brother was one of those, starting as a, a teenager, as a, a valet to the grandfather, but he helped with the children. And this man said my brother would come in his room at night when he was having a nightmare take him and rock him 
and tell him that he didn't have to be afraid, that he was there for him. And this man, this tall, rich, white man said, and he always was. That to me was a point of reconciliation. I Sometimes I think that this life has reconciliation as a large measure of what it is we're supposed to do. L a long time ago, there was a movie, I think it was A Place in the Heart or Places in the Heart. Sally Field. Sally, exactly. Danny Glover, and, yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. At the end of that movie, when the camera panned the people sitting in the church, certain people were sitting alone. And then it came back, and they were sitting next to the person who had harmed them or hurt them or betrayed them. And I was so impressed with that. I went and got, got another ticket and sat through it. So I didn't <laughs> believe I saw that, but I did. But reconciliation, I think, is a large part of what we're supposed to be about. Mm -hmm. And I look forward to that. A, a final question, Kathy. What would you like white Mormons to know about black Mormons? Their history. I, you know, they know their own history, and they talk about the persecution. I saw something on TV last night where the black men who fought uh, and got uh, uh, medals from the French in the First World War would come home and were treated worse than the prisoners of war, denied every vestige of citizenship and the lynchings and the beatings and the killings. And then to think of that kind of suffering. Well, in terms of the suffering, the Mormon experience, I think, pales in comparison. And so mm -hmm. we, we're taught to, to not only know our history, but to record it. Look at our history. Don't expect the one black person whose path may cross yours to open up your head and pour in the knowledge you should have. Mormons are people who believe in education. Go to the library. Have discussion groups. Do whatever. You, you know what to do if you want to learn about something. It seems like the church itself as an institution could do more to, to help you know, well, and boost I, that education about. I think about. that this B1 celebration is going to start that off because you, you will see uh, examples of people from across the world. And we need to reach out to our... It, it, that gives you an easy place to start. You know, there's always that camaraderie that is there if, if you're a member of the church. Uh, you wind up in a different town, and you go, and you know what it's going to be, and, and generally you feel pretty welcome. Mm -hmm. So, Well, Kathy Stokes, thank you so much for joining with us and educating us on your history okay. and what you've done. Appreciate that and your insights. Peggy, you'll be writing more about this story and this subject this weekend next. Thanks for your coverage at sltrib.com. Always a pleasure. And uh, a special shout-out to our trusty producer, Sarah Weber. 
We remind our listeners that in addition to our weekly Mormonland podcasts, you can sign up for our Mormonland newsletter. It's a roundup email to your inbox once a week so that you can keep up on the latest developments in and about the LDS Church. Just go to sltrib.com slash newsletters and sign up. It's simple, it's free, and we'll talk again next week on Mormonland.